0: This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio, wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly.
1: Here we go. It is the Black and Blue Report, the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. Good morning from Studio B. In Metairie, Sean Kelly, with you. Welcome in, everybody. We have got a huge show for you on this Thursday. I hope you like because uh, we've had a great time putting it together for you. Uh, podcast, no appointment radio. We get to kind of schedule folks as we need to, and then we put it all together. And there you go; it's yours. And I hope that you enjoy this Thursday show. It'll be highlighted by a couple of things. Number one, uh, it is Thursday of a regular season, and uh, normally, as of the last two years. We've been graced by the presence of Jim Henderson, the voice of the New Orleans Saints. He's back today and uh, will give us his thoughts on uh, the Week 1 game against the Saints and the Cardinals. We'll also hear from one of the great stories in training camp. Willie Sneed is with us today. I spoke to him in the locker room after practice yesterday. I most definitely want to share that conversation with you uh, on this uh, Thursday edition. And then um, we're going to get to a story that was published in the Washington Post today. More on that in just a moment. Uh, keep this in mind, by the way, as you get ready for the game this weekend. We've had a number change with the uh, Saints. Uh, a couple of guys swapped numbers. Tobin Opuram, a fullback, um, has vacated number 44 and will now wear number 45. And the reason that he vacated number 44 was that, uh, I guess, Haoli Kakaha wanted 44. And um, so Kakaha will wear 44 this uh, starting this weekend. And uh, Oporum will will hang on to or now uh, possess number 45. That's a very small footnote on the whole deal. But anyway, what did you watch on TV last night? I I didn't catch much. Let's put it that way. I've been pretty dialed into getting ready for this football game this week. I will say this. um, I'm not so sure I'm ready for Stephen Colbert yet. No? I worry. Are we watching this? It's hard enough for me to stay up to even 1030 at night, let alone watch the new guy. I watched the first one. I took last night off. I'll give it another chance. This is just a little pop culture segment I'm throwing in here, Daniel. Bear with me on this one. We told you yesterday that uh, Kevin Burkhardt from the NFL on Fox would be on today's podcast. Because of this story that I'm about to tell you about with the Washington Post, we're going to move uh, Kevin's visit to tomorrow, and it'll be a perfect lead-in on a Friday to so the football weekend. Look, Kevin Burkhardt's one of our absolute favorites, but um, if we're going to have a preview from Jim Henderson today, let's use tomorrow then to get the national voice, Kevin Burkhardt, to take uh, leading into the football weekend. And uh, and I want to share this story with you today because it's so fresh about war and heartache. That's the title of the piece by Jackson Smith, who is a Marine vet, an Afghan war vet, and uh, is now a writer. So he wrote this piece, and it talks about uh, the sustainment of his time in battle thanks to the New Orleans Saints and maybe more specifically his family and Drew Brees. And then what he did to return the favor to a dear friend uh, in his time of need uh, with the help of Drew Brees as well. Again, the piece is called War and Heartache, and it's in today's Washington Post. I think it came out at about 7 a.m. this morning. Uh, Doug Tatum, our executive director of digital media here with the New Orleans Saints, uh, hastily sent out an email to Daniel, myself, Alex Restrepo, and said, "Find him and get him on." And read the story, by the way, because it's fantastic. And Doug was so right; um, it's a, it's a, it's a really nice piece in, in a in a time where we don't maybe get a, enough positive pieces about um, those that we follow in sports and whatnot. This this one is a home run, to say the least. Um, and I think we've needed it. And I think we've, we need the fact that football is kicking off tonight. I don't want to bury the lead here, but the regular season starts tonight despite some pretty poor weather up in Foxborough. But it's Patriots and Steelers tonight to start the regular season. The defending champs, of course, will tee it up. Who knows what we'll get from the Steelers with Le'Veon Bell. I, he's not playing, so the Steelers are a little shorthanded going in. But um, here are the Patriots Uh, starting their title defense and kicking off the NFL season as the Patriots were at the center of what was really not a a real fun offseason, to say the least. Let's just be clear on the NFL offseason. It it wasn't much fun. (laughs) So when you couple that with making your way through preseason football games and everything else, today is a great day. A great day to kick off um, the NFL season. Let's play football. Let's enjoy football. Let's Let's think about at work this afternoon, what we're gonna have for dinner tonight. Um none of us here are obviously gonna tailgate. Well, if you are, tip of the cap to you. But I think all of us in some way are are probably thinking about our evening around this football game. So let's enjoy that. Let's enjoy that it is actually starting today. Uh and then that'll put us all in a great mood heading into the weekend and uh Saints and Cardinals on Sunday afternoon. So uh, tomorrow, obviously, we'll talk about you know tonight's football game. We'll get Kevin Burkhardt on, and uh, we'll have even more. I want to say tomorrow also we'll be speaking with Michael Maudie's um, dad, former Saints receiver Rich Maudie. Uh, we are scheduled to have him on tomorrow's Black and Blue Report. Speaking of Michael Maudie, uh, he was brought up this morning with head coach Sean Payton. Uh, as you know, this week Coach Payton is doing his media. Um, press briefing, if you will, uh, via conference call at 8.30 a.m., both uh, today and tomorrow and, and like we had yesterday. So I do want to play a couple things from that before we take our first break. And since we brought up Michael Maudie, we'll start with that. Uh, Maudie, as you know, was um, picked up after being let go by the Vikings over the weekend. And uh, he plays linebacker. He's the, he's the young man from Mandeville High School uh, who who's battled through some injuries over the years, uh, including his time at Penn State. But uh, he's now a member of the New Orleans Saints, and uh, I would say that probably his week is as full as anybody you know in trying to get up on all the terminology and the way that the Saints do things, um, and then we'll see if we see him on the playing field on Sunday. Certainly this is a guy that we'll probably see more of on special teams than anything else, and I think that suits him, and I think that Coach Payton uh, certainly brings that up here in his comments about Michael.
2: Well, I think he was productive, you know, the tape, and this was all of his snaps in the preseason this year. And then his snaps last year, he, he's constantly around the ball. You can see he's physical. He likes the noise. He's someone that I think is a very good tackler. Um, he's exceptionally smart, but I think most importantly is all right. How is this player as a backup mic going to help us in the kicking game? And if, and if that if that is a plus, then, then we have something, and so we put on all his special team snaps, and and they were real good. Um, I like this guy a lot. I like I like his makeup and how he's wired. Um, so that that was after the you know watching the tape, you, you kind of look around and, and you, you look at each other, and, and you're like, w- what don't we like about this player? And there wasn't a whole lot.
1: Otherwise, uh, from this morning's uh, session with the media, the only other thing that I wanted to kind of share with you today, or at least highlight, was uh, Coach Payton talking about Tim Hightower, who's really a great comeback story, and obviously there's a great tie-in with Hightower because he used to run the football for the Arizona Cardinals. That's your opponent this weekend. But, look, the Saints are heavy and well-armed at running back, and Hightower is part of a group here, kind of a crowded group, um, that normally probably would have one less member of that group on a normal 53-man roster. I don't think I'm out of bounds for saying that. But anyway, I think it speaks to Tim Hightower and what he showed the Saints in his comeback here during training camp as to why he's still on this roster.
2: Well, there's some flexibility with him. And, you know, history has told us for us just to, to be a little deeper at that position, at the running back position. Um, I thought his training camp was, was very good. You know, I thought uh, clearly he looked healthy. Um and I thought, you know, his numbers uh, when we handed him the football, uh, it was something that, as the as the process wore on, when we went from spring into training camp, you know, you began to know this player more and more. And uh, I also think he's uh, a real good teammate. And he's got a presence about him that I think benefits uh, all of us, our team.
3: Hey, Sean, how, how is, have you ever seen a
2: case where a guy was able to sit out three years and be able to come back the way he had? I mean,
3: how rare is that,
2: I guess, especially on this
3: level?
2: Well, I, I, I think, look, two seasons, if I'm not correct. I mean, any break in our league for even a year and coming back, you know, that happens, we see that a lot. You know, players out for the season, he's back the next year. Uh, but I would, I would definitely say – North of two, north of a season. You know, players who who are out for two seasons, or you know that there just aren't many examples of that.
1: All right, so just a couple of uh, couple of bites there from head coach Sean Payton this morning. Again, more of that obviously at neworleanssaints. dot and on your Saints mobile app. Let's take a quick break. We'll bring in. We'll start off with the voice of the uh, Saints, Jim Henderson. Next, then we're going to hear um, from Jackson Smith. This is a can't miss interview, I think. And then before we get out of here, a quick visit with Willie Sneed The Pelican schedule has just been released, and 12-game plans are now on sale. 12-game packages, including the ever-popular weekend plan, allow you to take in a couple of games a month throughout the season for as low as $199. Don't miss your chance to see NBA All-Star Anthony Davis and your Pelicans take on the biggest names in the NBA, including LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kobe Bryant, and more. Visit Pelicans.com or call 525-HOOP and score your seats today.
4: At Smoothie King, we're so much more than
1: just fruit in a blender because each and every Smoothie King smoothie is blended for a purpose. Whether you want
3: to firm up for summer or last longer in the gym, make it one more mile or simply make it through the day, we have a smoothie just for that. If you're looking to purify your diet, hurry in and try our new Nutty Super Grain Vegan Smoothie made with almond milk, some Warrior protein, super grains, and a peanut taste you'll go nutty for. Only at Smoothie King. Smoothies with a
5: purpose.
4: Ever been surprised by a bill? A big bill that's higher than expected? Entergy's online tools let you take control. Try level billing so there are no surprises. Pick a due date that works for you. And sign up for alerts to remind you when your bill is due. Make your bills fit your budget. Don't wait another month. Take action today at EntergyIdeas.com. That's the power of people. Entergy.
0: We're talking Saints football on the Black and Blue Report.
1: Well, it is, I, I don't know if it's often or never, probably never have we had a cover model on the Black and Blue Report. But today is the first, and our first cover model ever is, uh, is joining us here on the Black and Blue Report this Thursday. Uh, yesterday, I came across a copy of Senior Living Magazine, and lo and behold, the cover model was none other than the voice of the New Orleans Saints, Jim Henderson. Boy, are we Stepping the game up today, Mr. Henderson.
6: Well, I was very honored to be a cover model for Senior Living. I think uh, it won't be too much longer. I'll be on the cover of Assisted Living. (laughs) And then probably shortly thereafter, no longer living. But, no, that was very nice. Angela Hill has been there. Uh, Ronnie Lamarck. um, Jimmy Fitzmaurice. um, Chris Owens. So I think I'm in good, co- good company. That was fun to do, and I partic- particularly like the opportunity to show off my dog, Deuce, who I thought looked excellent in the picture.
1: Has Deuce's Q score gone up as a result of this publishing?
6: Are you kidding me? Well, he's signing autographs today at PetSmart, so I think that should probably tell you right there what it's done for him.
1: Excellent work. Um, now, who chose the photographs to be used, you or Deuce.
6: Well, I, we chose the only one that I looked presentable in, and Deuce looked great in all of them. So there was no problem with Deuce, but uh, the selection was very limited when it came to me.
1: Um, we probably need to schedule Deuce to be on the black and blue report at some point, don't we?
6: <laughs> well, if he's around when you call next time, he'll probably be barking in the background. He always knows when I'm doing something on the phone uh, of any significance, and certainly this is, and likes to bark in the background to make himself
1: known. Well, that, that comes with experience and knowing how to play the game, right? correct yeah, that's correct no that was very <laughs> cool i thought it was a great honor as you mentioned you've been in good company now uh being a part of that that publication so pick up your copy of senior living and uh perhaps jim will sign it soon enough for you if not deuce at PetSmart later today so um,
6: <laughs> they're flying off the shelves. yes yes
1: congratulations my friend on starting another season as the voice of the new orleans saints um i know there's always an excitement about opening weekend um does it ever get old for you
6: Oh, no, it never does, Sean. Uh, I mean, if you can't get excited for an opening uh, day, and opening weekend in the NFL, then you're in the wrong profession. I think particularly because there's no track record. Uh, that's one of the things I'm going to be addressing as i uh, as I preview the game. You know if you're a prognosticators, we all have to be in certain situations, and uh, you realize every week in the NFL that you really don't know anything about what's going on or how to predict these games. But certainly never more so than the opening weekend because you have so little evidence on which to base your selection. And particularly now, when in 2015 I've never seen a preseason with regulars playing less, so you get absolutely no reading on those guys.
1: Yeah, I was, I'm was. i glad that you brought that up because I've had many come by me in the last week or so asking me what I think about this season. And, and, and not in a negative way, Jim, I just don't have any idea. 23 new players to the Saints as we look at the 53 man roster today. Um, and and I guess I'm, I, um, I'm eager as opposed to anxious about the way this season can start.
6: Well, I agree. That's uh, probably an unprecedented turnover, uh, for the saints during the Sean Payton era, perhaps, um, beyond 2006, the first game that he ever coached first season that he ever coached the saints. So yeah, it's an unprecedented turnover. And, um, uh, in making the Cardinals the favorite in this game, I'm writing this as well. There are a number of factors I think the odds makers consider. For the most part, the fact that they're so efficient at home, they've won their last five home openers. Saints haven't opened on the road with a victory since 2006, Sean's first game as the head coach of the team in Cleveland. And then when you look at uh, Carson Palmer returning to the lineup for the Cardinals, that's huge if he can equal the success he was enjoying last year before he went down with his second tour in ACL. And you look at who the Saints have lost since this time last year, their number one receiver, Jimmy Graham, their number one pass rusher, Junior Gillette, their number one ball hawk, Jarris Bird, their number one defensive back, Keenan Lewis, and the key replacements and newcomers on this team are C.J. Spiller, How haven't seen him all preseason, Jaris Bird, I consider him a newcomer too. Out I haven't seen him all preseason. Brandon Browner, what did he play? One series in the preseason opener and hasn't been seen since. So for all those reasons, maybe I'm a little surprised the Saints aren't bigger underdogs. And I think the fact that they aren't is just a tribute to Drew Brees and the magic he can work under center.
1: And, and speaking of Brees, and you watched all the training camp. You know the difference between an unhealthy Drew Brees as going into the the opener last year and what we've seen this preseason, albeit limited in preseason games. Uh, Jim, I I don't have any doubt in my mind that that Breeze is going to be a guy that can perhaps make up some of the shortcomings you're speaking of.
6: Certainly it looked that way, didn't in preseason. I thought it was very illuminating what Drew had to say in the course of preseason, that he probably wasn't fully healthy as the season opened last year with that oblique injury that had uh, sidelined him for a good portion of of preseason and that he was troubled by other injuries that he wouldn't specify. In the course of the season, I think probably – those factors contributed to the growing perception that Drew had lost some arm strength and couldn't throw deep. I remember early in the season, Hokey and I remarked about the fact that uh, they never looked for Brandon Cooks downfield. It was all short stuff, and, and Drew um, was under-throwing uh, uh, receivers when he did try to throw deep, and I think probably a lot of that can be traced back to injury, and certainly we've seen uh, no problem with his arm strength in preseason this year.
1: You mentioned Brandon Cooks. How many times do you think you mentioned his name on the broadcast this weekend?
6: Uh, oftentimes, hopefully, uh, I'm reading some of the Cardinal stuff, and they're going to put Patrick Peterson on him probably wherever he lines up on the field. So that would be a very interesting matchup.
1: That secondary that Arizona rolls out there is pretty formidable. I, is that as much a reason why they're talked about as a possible favorite in the NFC as much as the Carson Palmer situation?
6: Yeah, I think so. I mean they've got some really excellent players in that secondary. It's interesting. I think they've got let's see, let me count one, two, three. They got four players uh out of the SEC in that secondary in their lineup, including Patrick Peterson and of course everybody knows Tyron Matthew. And um also Gerard Powers, their corner opposite Patrick Peterson, is from Auburn, so it's in the secondary.
1: Jim, when you were making out your spotter sheets for this weekend's game, as you worked across the Arizona offensive line, what thoughts did you have come to mind?
6: I know they're going to be missing two of their starters. It's an offensive line that was not particularly good last year as well. Uh, this year, one of the best guys that they got in the offseason, Mike Upati, the former uh, San Francisco 49er left guard, uh, who was one of their biggest unrestricted free agent acquisitions. He's out after a knee surgery in mid-August, so he's gone. A new starter, at right tackle, and Earl Watford because their usual starter, the projected starter there, is Bobby Massey. And uh, he's been suspended for the first two games of the season because of a PUI around Super Bowl week. So I think that's going to be really key. I mean, Carson Palmer's not going to move around. That with the injuries he's had and the fact that he's 13 years now at a USC. He's pretty much a statue back there. So it all comes down to can the Saints pressure that quarterback against that line with their pass rush, of which we've seen nothing and is missing the best pass rusher of a year ago and the guy that contributed 22 sacks in two years in junior galette. So I think that's going to be a fascinating part of this matchup.
1: I watched someone try and predict the score of this game this weekend, and I usually don't put much credence into it, but the number was 24-20 Arizona. Um, and, And it wasn't whether Arizona won or not or the Saints won or lost. The numbers, though, seemed awfully low to me. Um, Am I way off in thinking that this is going to be a track meet on Sunday?
6: You know, I think so. Um, But, again, it's hard to predict the first uh, game of the regular season. But the Saints don't have the firepower of a year ago. Um, The Cardinals, you know, they're they're a pretty conservative offense. They get nothing out of their tight ends who are mostly there as blockers. They got uh, Michael Floyd coming back a guy who's a great deep threat, but he dislocated three fingers on his hand in practice and just returned to practice after surgery yesterday. And you know, Larry Fitzgerald is 12 years now out of Pittsburgh. So uh, I don't think you're seeing a, a very high-powered offense in the Cardinals, at least on paper, and with the Saints missing some of the people that they are on offense, in particular Jimmy Graham, I think you might be seeing a lower scoring game than we might have predicted a year ago if these two teams were opening against one another.
1: Fair enough. You have mentioned Jimmy Graham a couple of times. If, if you had to make a guess right now, Jim, um, where and how do they make up for the red zone production that Graham provided the Saints during his time here?
6: That is a very good question. It's one of the questions of the day. You know, they love to go to their tight ends, so... I guess you'd have to hope that uh, Josh Hill and Ben Watson can contribute down in the red zone. I know that's been a lingering question in preseason and one that Sean's been asked to address uh, both times. He's met the media this week. What do you do uh, in the red zone? Drew was asked that yesterday, too, considering the lack of Jimmy Graham and the failures for the most part in, in preseason. So uh, I would like to have seen uh, C.J. Spiller and see what he could contribute down there. We won't know that. Uh, so I guess it's probably going to come down to down to the tight ends. I don't think you figure Brandon Cook's in the red zone because of his size. Marcus Colston's a, an intriguing target. I don't think Brandon Coleman's ready for that role. But, uh, yeah, it's going to have to be somebody and probably one of those bigger receivers that you that you like to target down there close to the goal line.
1: Interesting, interesting. Um, okay, so Spiller could come back in week two or three. I think the same goes for a couple of different guys, maybe even Jairus Bird. So if if the Saints can – Go into Arizona and win this thing on Sunday. um, How much traction does that give them through the first three or four games?
6: I think it'd be gigantic. Uh, You got Tampa Bay coming in here next week for the Saints' home opener, and even though the Saints have lost five straight at home and. Uh, it's been since last October that they won a, a home game of any description. I think it'd be huge to open against the Cardinals with a victory, with the chance to be two and zero next week against Tampa Bay. Again, the Saints will be uh, probably substantially favored in with a, a young rookie quarterback and, and a team that. I was noticing this is how smart we are prognostication wise. I'm reading Sports Illustrated last week of, uh, as they look back on all their prognostications from a year ago. Sports Illustrated said that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would win the NFC South a year ago. So, so much for preseason predictions, but I would have to think that uh, coming into the second game of the season as the Saints' home opening opponent, the Saints would be pretty heavily favored against
1: them. Jim, I'm looking at the series history between the, uh, the Cardinals and the Saints, and obviously the dates back to the days in St. Louis for the Big Red. Um, uh-huh. This history that you've been uh, a part of, a good chunk of it, this will only be your second time at the University of Phoenix Stadium. Um, you've done games at Busch Stadium in St. Louis, outdoor, Sun Devil Stadium, outdoor. Um, are you are you more than happy to see University of Phoenix Stadium for just the second time in your career this weekend?
6: Well, it's a beautiful stadium. We have a very nice venue there, and um, all I remember is last time that we played there, I think was 2010, wasn't it? I have to go back and, and look at, at yeah. the last time the Saints were there,
1: October of 2010. But, um,
6: yeah, October of 2010 was the last time they were there, October 10th. All I remember is walking to the stadium through the parking lot and wondering if we were ever going to get there before dying of dehydration. <laughs> it was so hot going across that, that concrete parking lot to the stadium. Inside the stadium is beautiful, and you know it's a, it's a very good home field advantage for them, too. They've played particularly well at home under Bruce Arians.
1: No doubt about that. I, I think that folks underestimate how loud that stadium actually gets. Um, do you remember that in, in 2010?
6: Yeah, and one another statistic we'll use for the game is uh, uh, since, I think, dating back to the opening of the stadium, this is its 10th year, I always thought that Seattle was the loudest stadium and induced a lot of false starts because of that. It's actually um, University of Phoenix Stadium in Glendale, Arizona, that's induced the most false starts during that time. So, yeah, it's probably an underappreciated home crowd. I remember in years past you'd go to the big sombrero um on the University of Arizona campus to do a, a game with, with the Cardinals, and there'd be nobody there because it's a transplant city and it was so hot and miserable to sit in those stands. Most of the people that would go to those games were people that were retirees out of Chicago or the North who had allegiance to the opponent rather than the Cardinals, and that's, that's changed over the last few years.
1: Well, I think I last check, the forecast for Sunday is sunshine and 105 in Phoenix. Uh, It might be a two-shirt day, Jim. One shirt to walk to the stadium and one to do the game in.
6: Yeah, and one probably to wear home out of the stadium. It might even be a three-shirt day. I'm going to have to check my wardrobe. I don't know if I have that many available.
1: (laughs) Well, your personal valet, uh, now that you are a cover model, will take care of that for you, right?
6: (laughs) Right. Hey, I want to leave you with this thought, and I assume we're getting close to it. I was thinking back to uh, what we know from the preseason about teams in the NFL based on how little the regulars play. And I thought of this line, and you're welcome to use it if you think it's appropriate, that NFL teams in preseason now show less than an Amish strip club.
1: Hey, I don't know how we go on beyond this, uh, this ending right here.
6: You're welcome to use it if you want to.
1: Jim, this is your drop-the-mic moment on week one.
6: <laughs> it's all downhill from here.
1: Well done, sir, and I appreciate your time as always. Safe travel this weekend. We'll look forward to seeing you at the old ballpark.
6: All right, thanks, my
1: friend. There he goes, the voice of the Saints. Jim Henderson with us on the Black and Blue Report. Stay tuned. Heartwarming story uh, called War and Heartache next on the Black and Blue Report.
4: Power outages turn your world upside down. You need to know when your power will come back on, and you want to know what happened. The fastest way to stay informed? Entergy text alerts. You'll get prompt updates on when your power will be restored and on what happened. You can even send a text to be sure your outage is being repaired. When the power is out, what's faster than calling? Texting. Sign up today at EntergyText.com. That's the power of people. Entergy.
1: All Star Electric is lighting up the future with the latest in LED lighting. All Star Electric specializes in the installation and conversion of the newest LED lighting products. This lasting investment is virtually maintenance free and offers significant savings on your next electricity bill. This is Tim Blanchard, president of All Star Electric. Let us evaluate your building, parking lot, or home for an LED conversion because we know we can save you some money.
0: Everything you need to know about the Saints and Pelicans is right here on the Black and Blue Report. All
1: right, welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. As we promised, this is, uh, this is one of our big, big stories of the day, and it's a story that changed my day, that's for sure. And again, uh, as I mentioned in the first segment, it all changed when our executive director, uh, Doug Tatum, of the New Orleans Saints Digital Media Group, um, emailed me the link to this article this morning. It's called war and Heartache." Uh, It's penned by Jackson Smith, and it appears today in the Washington Post. Um, As it's pointed out at the bottom of the piece, this is not so much an an article, uh, whereas it's more a letter uh, to two different friends. And with that, we're very pleased to welcome in uh, Jackson Smith. Jackson, uh, so glad that you could make time for us, and and I'm sure which has been um, an interesting day for you.
3: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, It it has been uh, quite quite a ride of a day so far.
1: Let's work on some background here. First of all, you're a former Marine, which is a big part of this story. So let me start by saying thank you for your service. Um, Thank you. Yes. And and then uh, if you'll guide me through the process of being a former Marine to now uh, what it appears to be a published writer.
3: Sure. So uh, I I came through... uh, Tulane University I graduated in 2007 uh, and that's what got me down here in New Orleans uh, and, and where I also met uh, Brian McKenna the other half of this story and uh, went into the Marines in 2008 um, the war in Afghanistan was was really starting to heat up and uh, got sent overseas uh, in the winter of 2009 early 2010 which uh, Saints fans know was a pretty exciting time for us and uh was heading into a pretty what we knew was going to be a pretty big battle and, and sort of missed the uh, you know missed all the excitement with the NFC Championship and all that. And um, as as readers of the story know, uh, found out about the Saints Super Bowl uh, about three o'clock in the morning in a in a pouring rainstorm. Uh, I didn't know it rained in the desert. Um, I can assure you that it does and it's pretty bad. Uh, got a call over the radio that said, hey, you know, hey, brother, got some news that will hopefully cheer you up. Uh, Your Saints just won the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, I I knew that what I was doing, it was right where I wanted to be. I had waited my whole life to do what we were about to do. But at the same time, I also knew that back in New Orleans, uh, people were celebrating the Saints' first Super Bowl ever uh, five years after Katrina and five days before Mardi Gras. So there was definitely a voice in my head saying – you know, man, I wish I was there. Um,
1: so, so, And we
3: had – go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, if I remember correctly, this battle that you're involved in in early 2010 is, is involving the city of Marja, which is one of the worst battles that I think the, the campaign saw. So w- with all that was going on with, with you in the moment there and then truly what you have been mentioning as far as going home on back in New Orleans with Mardi Gras and the Super Bowl and everything else, how far away from home were you feeling at that time?
3: I mean, it was, uh, it was a crazy feeling. It's, it's a hard one to articulate. Um, you're, you're correct. The, the invasion of Marjo was, was kind of, it was the largest offensive operation of the Afghan War. And we knew that. We knew what it would be going into it. Uh, it was my first time in combat. It was the first time in combat for the vast majority of the guys that I was with. Um, so we were, you know, it was it was Christmas time, it was New Year's. Um, we all were feeling uh, pretty far from home, uh, and we were going to a place that uh, really no American had ever been or, or had not been there in 10 or 20 or 30 years. Um, and I remember that being a, one of my clearest memories of that experience was uh, sitting on a rooftop a couple days into the battle and it just being dead quiet at 2 o'clock in the morning, pitch black, And thinking you know um this is no man's land no one's ever been here before uh and that was a pretty pretty lonely feeling and I think that's that's what Brian had in mind when he did uh what he did with that uh picture with Drew Brees
1: all right let's tell the story let's I think we've set up the moment now so back home um this young man Brian McKenna right Yep. Yep. And and then was was Kristen your fiance at the time or just a, a good she, friend? She
3: was not. Kristen and I uh, were dating. We'd gone to college together, um, so we were dating at the time. And Brian uh, was still uh, at at that point. I think had moved to New York and, and was down uh, for Mardi Gras. And he sent me a letter. We had these things called Moto Mail, which is basically you would send an email to a guy who was overseas and they would print it out uh, close to him and get it to him. So your letter would get to him in like a day or two, as opposed to two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. They get this letter that's uh, it's like two lines. It says basically, you know, hey, man, uh, Kristen and I, we did something for you. I, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but rest assured, um, when you see it, uh, Mars is not going to be the only thing that you remember about this Mardi Gras. And I'm thinking, you know, what is this guy talking about? So time goes on, and I, and I eventually get this package and it's a photo album and I start flipping through the photo album and uh my jaw just dropped man he he had gone to uh like Kinko's and and taken a picture of me in my marine dress blues you know my dress uniform and had it blown up into a life-size uh like cardboard cutout and he took it everywhere all over Mardi Gras every parade every party all of my friends every bar um it was everybody and me right there in the middle of it. And he uh, he had included a note with it that said, uh, you know, I, I didn't want you to feel like you, like you missed all this. And now you know you didn't miss it. You were here. And I, I just couldn't believe it, man. I'm flipping through all these pictures. And then I get to the very last picture in the album. And I really had to stare at it for five or ten seconds before I, I even began to register what I was looking at. Uh, and it was me with Drew Brees, the Super Bowl MVP, and his wife, Brittany, uh, on both sides of me. And I, just, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I didn't believe it. Um, and I just stared and stared. Uh, and, and when it finally kind of sank in, man, I, I cried like a baby. I cried my eyes out. I, I could not believe uh, what he had done for me. Uh, and then after the fact, I got a letter from him that kind of explained What it took to get this, and this was at the Bacchus Ball, which, if you've been, uh, you know, the king of the ball is not somebody that you're just paling around with because you're at the ball. You know, it's like going to a Beyonce concert and hanging out with Beyonce. You're not getting anywhere near the king (laughs) of the ball, let alone the Super Bowl MVP at Mardi Gras. So Brian's got this ridiculous cardboard cutout that he's toting around with him, and for the whole night, for four hours, he is sweet-talking his way from one security guard to the next to the next, telling guys, look, I, I know the rules, I know the deal, man. you got to help me here. This is my buddy in Afghanistan.
6: Please help me.
3: And, and every single guy he talked to would do it. They'd say, you know, go ahead, man. You, you never talked to me. I was never here, but just go. Just get there. And he gets closer and closer and finally gets up close to the, to the court where the king and queen are. And not only is there security everywhere, but there's NFL people everywhere. And they're not having it. I mean, out of the question. No pictures, period, bar none. Afghanistan, Marine,
6: hey,
3: the rules are the rules, man. You're not taking a picture. And uh, through a friend of a friend, Brian was able to uh, talk to Brittany, Reed, Drew's wife, uh, and make his case. And, uh, she, I mean, she. the way he tells it, she about welled up crying on the spot. She was like, we got to do this. And uh, and she gets Drew over there, and Drew was all about it. I mean, if you know anything about Drew Brees, he's done so much uh, for servicemen, for, for troops deployed. I mean, he's got a lot of admiration in our circles for the way that he uh, does stuff like that. Um, and people were still not wanting him to do it, and apparently he had to have a pretty pretty forceful conversation with the people around him to the effect of, you know, listen, I'm I'm taking this picture, and that's all there is to it, and he did it. Um, and I and you know that picture. Everybody who was with me in Afghanistan. By the time we came home to the states six months later, they were probably so sick of hearing that story, man. If you saw me in Afghanistan between January and August, you heard that. I mean, <laughs> you know, Taliban that we were detaining, I was probably telling that story too, because um, I just I couldn't I couldn't stop talking about it.
1: Well, it, So
3: that's the story of the original picture.
1: Yeah, and 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 then as uh, as old Paul, Paul Harvey used to say, uh, then there's the rest of the story. So did you ever in your mind think or try to think of a way that you could repay this incredible act of friendship? Um, obviously the you know, opportunity presented itself with the tragic accident that Brian McKenna suffered, a bicycling accident out in Utah, um, and that's the kind of the setup to the end of the story here. But um, did you – did you think of a way to, to top him or repay him before this, uh, this tragic accident to Brian?
3: You know, as far as, as repaying Brian, um, I mean, there, there is no repaying him. What, what he did to come up, not only come up with that idea, um, but to pull it off, you know, there, there's no topping it. And, uh, and I actually, when I, when I got this second picture with Drew um, at the practice a couple of weeks ago, I shared it on Facebook with some of my friends and I wrote words to that effect that, you know, it was never my intention to try to repay him because you can't, you know, you can't top what he did. Um, But the the unfortunate reality is I was given the opportunity um, with, with what happened to Brian this past summer um, to, if not repay him, at least make some gesture to him to do uh, some version of what he had done for me, because um, I don't ever want to equal what he did. I right. want what he did to stay uh, to stay what it is, which is the greatest gesture of friendship I have ever seen, ever heard of. I mean, it it can't be topped. It can't be paid back. Right. And the same goes for Drew.
1: Without a doubt. So so Brian unfortunately is paralyzed. You uh, have a chance to find Drew Brees at Yulman Stadium when the Saints practiced there a couple of weeks ago. So you basically do the same thing. You get a cutout of Brian and then approach Drew Brees. What was that moment like to see if you could pull this thing full circle and get Drew to take a picture with now the cutout of Brian McKenna?
3: Well, we, uh, a couple of friends of mine, um, we've been out to visit Brian uh, a couple times. A lot of people have been out to visit him since he was hurt. And, um, we were talking, and, and it it was actually not my original idea. It was, it was one of my buddies was like, man, how great would it be to get Brian's picture with Drew Brees? And as soon as I said that, I mean, I, I just uh, – it was a done deal for me. I was going to do whatever it took. So I'd been working a couple different avenues, you know, people who had some connections to the Saints to try to figure out what, how could I make this happen. And when I heard about the practice, I was like, i got to try. You know, I've I, I got to get out there and make an effort. And so we had the picture made, the picture of Brian uh, on top of a mountain, which if you know Brian, that's, uh, that's the happiest you're ever going to find him. You know, that's what brought him out to Utah. I mean, he, he loves it out there. He lives for the mountain. We had this picture of him on a mountaintop and uh, went to the practice, and the practice was packed. I, I couldn't believe how many people were there. And um, I, was, I was feeling pretty discouraged because the practice ended – and, uh, you know, throughout the practice, you couldn't get close to the players. And then when the practice ended, the guys were kind of milling around on the field. And there's all these people waiting around trying to get autographs and kids all over the place. And I'm just thinking, man, there, there's no way. I'm just not going to be able to get close to too many people. Um, but I got to try. And and Drew being Drew, um, you know, practice had probably been over for 30 or 45 minutes at this point, And he's just making his way down the stand one person at a time Um, just, just hitting everybody, you know, making sure that every person there, um, gets what they came for, which is, you know, some, a second or two of FaceTime with him. So I'm in the crowd. It's mainly me and like nine and 10 year old kids. So I feel bad, like trying to get to the front and, um, I see him coming down the stands. He's getting closer and closer and I've got the cardboard cut out in one hand. And I've got my cell phone in the other hand with this Mardi Gras picture. And he gets kind of close to me and we make eye contact for a second. And I'm like, this is my chance. And I got about two seconds. And I try to compress that whole Mardi Gras story into about two seconds yelled, you know, across the crowd. And he's kind of looking at me like, man, who is this guy? And he he sort of looks at the picture and looks at me and he smiles and he's like, give me that thing, man. Let's take this picture. And, uh, and so he did it, you know, I, I'm, you know, my hands are shaking. I'm thinking, man, if I mess the picture up, I'll never forgive myself, but we got it. Um, and then, you know, he kept going and, and did his thing, signed like 500 autographs and then walked home with all the kids in the neighborhood, you know? Um, but he did it. I mean, it, the, in the same way that he, with the smallest gesture, pulled me through my darkest, hardest, worst time, um, did that for my buddy as well, uh, and he's done it for so many people, uh, just kind of being the guy that he is. So that's how it happened. I, I, I've never gotten to thank him. I don't know if I ever will, but, uh, you know, if he listens to this, Drew, it, you know, you are uh, my hero. I cannot thank you enough for what you've done for me and Brian and so many other people.
1: Well, this is a story of heroes and friends. Five years in the making, That is, uh, it is something to stop you in your tracks a little bit. I am so glad uh, I know that you've shared this over the years with your friends and family, but I'm so glad that you've shared that with all of us now. Um, and this letter is, again, entitled War and Heartache by Jackson Smith, and uh, it's written in the first person, obviously. Jackson, one last question. How does this end up in the Washington Post on this Thursday?
3: Uh, it's, it's funny that you ask. The the guy who runs that column for the Post, Dan Lamont, uh, in 2010, was a reporter for the uh, Military Times, uh, which is a military-specific paper, and he embedded with us uh, for about four or five weeks uh, and, and lived with, with me and my platoon um, in, in really the worst part of that deployment, uh, in the worst place to be, probably the worst place to be in Afghanistan. That guy was with us um, and shared in the danger and the fighting and all that and really told our story well. So, after the, you know, once we got the Drew Brees picture, I reached out to him because we stayed in touch and said, man, I, I would really love to tell this story. To somebody in the media down here because really uh, like I said, I've never gotten to thank Drew Brees and I've never gotten to kind of tell people the magnitude of what Brian and Drew did um, and I would love to tell it. Can you give me any tips to, you know, who should I talk to down here? He's like, I'll tell you who you should talk to. You should talk to me because I want to publish this story and I want you to write it, um, which completely surprised me. I had no idea. But I said, you know, all right, I'll, I'll take a shot um, and that's how it happens.
1: All right. Well, congratulations on being published, but more importantly, uh, congratulations on um, a story that will probably stay with you for the rest of your life. It will with me. There's no doubt about that.
6: Absolutely.
3: I'm the luckiest guy I know, no doubt about it. All right,
1: Jackson, who's winning this weekend, Saints or Cardinals? I think I know your answer, right?
3: I got to give it to my boys, man. Drew's going to carry the day, I have no doubt.
1: We'll see Drew this afternoon, and we will pass along the good word about this story. I know he'll be very pleased to hear it. And, um, please
3: do. Thank you so much.
1: And please send Brian our best. We've never met, but I I, I can't wait to uh, get the chance down the road.
3: I will. Thank
1: you. Yep, there he is, Jackson Smith, Warren Heartache. Uh Check it out. Washington Post is where you'll find that. I have a feeling also that uh, Alex Restrepo is going to make sure that you can see that through uh, the Saints Twitter uh, feed and also at NewOrleansaints.com. So stay with us. We've got a little bit more to go. We'll be right back.
4: Last year, over 400,000 people from 90 countries and all 50 states came to Auctioner to find the critical care they needed. People who could have gone anywhere made Auctioner their destination for a level of expertise, clinical research, and treatment options they couldn't find anywhere else. Auctioner and our affiliated physicians are renowned for leading-edge cardiovascular care, cancer care, pediatric care, innovative treatment of neurological disorders, and more. Our outstanding transplant program has resulted in Auctioner leading the nation in successful liver transplants for years. And today, Auctioner is partnering with physicians and strong community hospitals throughout the Gulf South to bring access to the highest quality of care closer to home. Find the care you need today. Call 866 Auctioner for a same day appointment. Auctioner, healthcare with peace of mind.
0: Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report.
1: Great show today. We're not done yet. Uh, as promised, I want to share with you a conversation that uh, I had with Willie Sneed in yesterday's post-practice locker room. Look, um, whether it's Delvin Bro, Timmy Hightower, like we talked about, um, or Willie Sneed, there have been some great stories to come out of training camp. And uh, I think Sneed's one of, one of the best stories um, and one of the most likable guys that I've been around. Uh, he's one of four. Wide receivers on the 53-man roster right now. Kind of seemingly comes out of nowhere. Again, there's history with him with practice squad time. I, I don't want to say that he just you know, comes out of thin air, but uh, he'll be uh, very excited about making his NFL regular season debut this weekend. Here's Willie Sneed yesterday after practice congratulations. You have to tell me about your Labor Day weekend. I'm sure it was probably more special than most.
5: I wish it was. Uh, It was uh, very exciting when I got the call from Coach Payton and he told me I was making the roster. I was ecstatic. told my family and everything. That was the only thing that wasn't able to happen. My family wasn't here, so I couldn't really celebrate, but they were with me in spirits and they were very happy for me.
1: Were you on pins and needles a little bit, or were you pretty confident about what you'd put together over the month of August?
5: Uh, I was pretty confident, but, you know, at the end of the day, you never know. It's a business, and uh, I was just happy to get that phone call from Coach Payton, which made me feel a lot better at the time, so I'm just happy to be here.
1: I couldn't help but notice your focus all the way through training camp. Was it that, or was there something more that you felt like helped you make your your
5: bid, if you will, to make this team? I mean, I've been through a training camp before. I've been through it once, so I knew what to expect this time around. And, uh, you know, just going out there with the same focus every day, going out there to make a play every day, and uh, just trying to be consistent. That was my mindset the whole training camp. And uh, it did wonders for me, and it helped me out a lot. Yeah, but this time you actually make the roster, so there had to be something different there. I mean, my daughter wasn't being born this year. That was one thing, but, you know, I was just completely focused all the way through. I didn't have any distractions. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I had to do. And uh, when the games came, I made a play every time the ball came my way. So I think that was the difference between this year and last year.
1: There's four wide receivers currently on this roster. It, maybe in your own words here, describe for me the strengths of these, of these four
5: guys that Drew has to work with. I mean, we're smart guys. Well, I mean, all the guys that were in here were smart. But, I mean, the four that we got right now, we're really, really hard workers, really competitive. We talk to each other. We hang out with each other a lot. So... You know, the guys that Drew's working with, you know, we're clutch. We're, you know, we're going to get after it every play. And I feel like um, the guys in the room are just really competitive and they're ready to go. Do you feel a certain need or a niche out of that foursome? Uh, you know, I feel like guys are just ready to, to just compete. You know, there's only four of us and we just have something to prove, I feel like, with the numbers being down. So the guys in the room, they're very, you know, energetic and they're very, you know, compelling. So we do a good job of making sure we know what we're doing and getting after it
1: now congratulations, by the way, you get to start all this against that secondary in Arizona.
5: Share with me your thoughts about that. Uh, watching film, they're a great secondary. They have a lot of veteran guys in the back end, and, uh, you know, it's going to be a good competition. You know, guy, coaches really want us to get after it. I think the game plan we have in right now is going to help us, benefit us. So as long as we go out there on Sunday, do we have to do and execute, I think we'll be okay.
1: All right, so there you go. That'll cap off our show today. Big thanks again to the voice of the Saints, Jim Henderson. Also Jackson Smith uh, for not only... Uh, writing his story out for us in the Washington Post, but sharing a a bit of that story with us today on the Black and Blue Report. As mentioned, tomorrow is going to be a good show, too. Uh, Kevin Burkhart, play-by-play man for this weekend's game, Saints-Cardinals on Big Fox, and then uh, as scheduled at the moment here, uh, Rich Maudie, Michael's father and former member of the New Orleans Saints. I think we're going to hear possibly from Benjamin Watson tomorrow, too, which is always an engaging interview. Am I forgetting anybody for tomorrow's show, Daniel? That'll be the Friday edition, and then we'll get ready to go. The team travels tomorrow night out to the desert. I will travel to other parts of this building. And, uh, well, I can't tell you what Daniel's going to do. Top secret at this point. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. We'll see you next time here on the podcast for the Saints and Pelicans. I'm Sean Kelly, and this is the Black and Blue Report.